Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Death of Death podcast. I'm your host, as always, Nick Stewart. How in the heck are you? Huh? All right. I asked you how you're doing. That's enough screwing around. There's no business to get to at the front end of the show for today. I don't care what you have to say about it. I have spent entirely too much time shooting the breeze with you. I have work to do. Let's get into it. Big topic today. Can we know God? We're getting back to some apologetics today. Happy to say it. Uh, It's an incredibly important question because every religion claims to know God in some way. So is that even a possibility? And how can we know that we're the ones who truly know God? So first off, can we know God? Yes. Okay, end of the episode. See you guys next week. Nah, just kidding. Um, you knew I was kidding. Whatever. Why don't? I, why do we always need? You know, feel the need to say that we're kidding. Everyone knows. Um, when you say something ridiculous, we know you're kidding. Uh, yes, we can know God because He reveals Himself in Scripture. So this uh, topic was inspired by you know the common atheist, agnostic, just general skeptic objection that uh, basically goes something like this. Um, Even if there was a God, you wouldn't possibly be able to know anything about him or understand him, and he would be so utterly beyond the comprehension of finite human beings that uh, we wouldn't even be able to, to understand it or talk about it. So, you know, we'll get to that objection eventually. I'm gonna leave that carrot dangling, but uh, the implications of believing we can't know or understand anything about God is, uh, you know, silly. <laughs> but for now, I just wanna go with the assumption that we can. So, we as Christians, we know that we can know God. If we didn't know that, Christianity would be kinda stupid. Believe me, let me set the record straight right now. <laughs> if we can't know or understand anything about God, you're better off sleeping in on Sunday mornings. Uh, the Apostle Paul himself said that if the resurrection didn't happen, then we're most to be pitied. We've wasted our lives on something that we can't possibly know is true. So let's get into how we know this. Uh, God has revealed himself in Scripture, like I said before. He also revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ during his time on earth. Then Jesus left behind apostles after he ascended, and the apostles were the mouthpiece for God at that point. And then some of the apostles wrote scripture, and some very close associates of the apostles wrote scripture, very likely with um, the supervision of apostles over them. And uh, that scripture has been preserved throughout the millennia all the way to now. Uh, So here we are now in the 21st century, and we don't have the incarnate Christ. His body is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, but all the apostles are dead. The the scripture that they wrote is still here, though. And uh, it's what they wrote as well. We have manuscripts from the first century that match up with what we have today. So we can trust scripture, and we know that our English Bibles... You know, most of them, anyway, are are faithful translations of the original texts. If we had any question about that, we can actually, you know, get the original Greek on our on our smartphones, and we can <laughs> and we can see, you know, how they compare. We should probably do an episode on cessationism someday. In fact, I'm actually going to try to make that happen next week. So um, 
don't hold me to that, but let's try to make it happen. One thing I learned recently was, uh, while looking into cessationism, is that even over the course of Paul's life, the the writings that he um, that we have in the Bible that kind of go throughout the last you know decade or two of Paul's life, you see mentions of prophecy and stuff uh, in his earliest letters, and uh, you know like in First Corinthians, there's all those you know chapters about uh, spiritual gifts and stuff. Um. Not spiritual gifts, but uh, like the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts, you know, the tongues and stuff. Uh, and then his last letter, which I believe is Second Timothy, um, that's, you know, much later in history, really in the last couple years of Paul's life, in the last couple years of any apostle's life, like all the apostles were dead by eighty seventy, for the most part. Um, actually, probably all of them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure none of them got out of eighty uh, seventy alive. Uh, and, and that last letter that Paul wrote is the one that says all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for reproof and correction and so on. So even over the course of Paul's letters, we see a gradual move away from things like prophecy and more in favor of a dependency on scripture. So it's just a little food for thought. Um, I should probably try to make that episode happen next week and we can maybe look into that more and, and other cessationist arguments, but that would be a good one. Uh, anyways, God is, is revealed to us in the scripture, but as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Uh, the spirit, you know, testifies to the truths of scripture. So not only can we look at pretty much any standard or metric that you choose and conclude that the Bible is God's word and it's true and trustworthy, but the Holy Spirit also testifies uh, internally to us of that truthfulness. So the obvious question here is, doesn't every religion think they know God? Answer, yes, but they're wrong. Now that may not feel like a very satisfying answer to many of you, but it's as simple as that. You know, the way that uh, we see the truthfulness of Scripture, same way that exclude other religions from being true. You know, the inerrancy of Scripture is very important for this reason. Uh, the Bible makes this claim about itself. It, it claims that God's words are true and perfect. Read uh, Psalm 119, and you'll just see confirmation after confirmation of God's word and the perfection and goodness of it. But we can also see the internal consistency of it. You know, it doesn't contain any contradictions. The occasional contradiction may be brought to attention, uh, an alleged contradiction. But anyone who's read a book about Bible difficulties knows that the number of times the rooster crowed or who actually bought the field of blood are, are not as difficult Um you know, things in the Bible as they seem on the surface. There are logical and consistent answers to everything people claim are contradictions in Scripture. But beyond that, you see the overarching story of Scripture as well. Like, how is it possible for 40 different authors over the course of more than a thousand years, uh, you know, to be telling the exact same story? You know, Jesus comes along and fulfills everything perfectly, like a puzzle piece. And uh, we can look back at the, the Old Testament and see everything foreshadowing him and promising him. And then he comes along and fits in perfectly and the entire picture is now clear. Uh, so when it comes to assessing which, if any, religions are true, then, you know, uh, we see the truthfulness of scripture and the only conclusion can be that other religions are not true. 
Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, that's so close-minded of Jesus, isn't it? And You know, unless it's true. <laughs> if Jesus is the way and not merely a way, then other religions are excluded. If he is not merely truthful, but the very definition of truth, then anyone who contradicts him would be an error. Uh, go listen to episode 35. The entire episode uh, is about the concept of Jesus being the truth. Uh, so, you know, if you want to get more into that topic, then there's that. And he's the life. There's no life to be had outside of Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through him. How could any other religion claim to have truth or to be accurate if this claim of Jesus is true? You know, if he is the only way to the Father, all the other religions are excluded. But this claim to exclusivity isn't just true of Christianity. Most religions have a claim to exclusivity. Really, all of them, in a sense. I mean, even if your religion claimed to accept all other religions, you'd be excluding the religions that don't accept other religions, right? <laughs> like, right? I mean, if you claim to accept all religions, but Christianity is exclusive then you're kind of excluding Christianity because they don't hold the same claim that you do, that all religions are, are valid or whatever. So if every religion has this form of exclusivity, then it's pretty much impossible for more than one of them to be true. Even if you found a way to reconcile one or two of them, uh, the major religions are completely irreconcilable. Um, you know, the, the Abrahamic religions, the, th the three of them, are, are irreconcilable with one another. The Jews do not believe Jesus is God. Islam claims that the Bible is God's word, and the Bible discredits all of the claims of Islam. So Islam actually discredits itself by making that claim. The three, those three religions, the Abrahamic religions, cannot coexist with one another doctrinally. So when it comes to our, our viewpoint as Christians, any religion that denies the deity of Christ which is all of them. <laughs> I mean, if there's a religion besides Christianity that upholds the deity of Christ, then I'm unaware of it. But if a religion denies Christ's deity, then the Bible defines them as an antichrist. Uh, Christianity is so connected to Judaism that sometimes it's uncomfortable for us, but uh, Judaism is technically an antichrist religion. Uh, John defines an antichrist as anyone who denies the connection of the Father and the Son, which basically means the fact that Jesus is God. So the idea of Christianity reconciling with another religion is pretty much completely out of the question because no other religion believes that Jesus is the Son of God and therefore every other religion is an antichrist religion. So when we see the nature of the exclusive claims of all these religions, the, the conclusion has to be that either one of these is, are true or none of them are true. You know, it's, it's either one or none, basically. There's no way if one of these are true, it can't exist with any of the other ones. So now I've, I've read a lot of apologetics books that uh, make this crescendo argument, basically, that, that leads up to you know, this point where it gets people kind of in the ballpark of monotheism, you know, uh, with some basic, you know, arguments, some apologetic talking points. And then, you know, kind of at the end, it says, well, if you have to try a God, you know, now you believe in a God probably. So if you have to, you know, figure out which one you want, you know, Jesus isn't a bad one to start with, you know. 
uh, it is the largest religion in the world after all. Um, I'm not here to say anything like that. The Bible is true whether you accept it or not, and I'm here to just say that definitively. But uh, what I will say in a hypothetical kind of analytical sense, if you were to conclude that only re- one religion could be true, then the odds of it being Islam, for example, <laughs> which is like a distant, distant second place when it comes to um, the the prominence of of the world religions. Uh, I mean, I think the number of Islamic people is a little over half the number of Christians worldwide. Um, that's something, you know. Uh, you know, if you were to conclude one religion is correct, I mean, the one with the most adherents worldwide would probably be the one, right? Like, what are the odds that that joke on South Park about hell is right? Where are we? Oh, What's Hello, newcomers, and welcome. Can everybody hear me? Hello? Can everybody? Okay. Uh, I'm the hell director. Uh, it looks like we have about 8,615 of you newbies today. And for those of you who were a little confused, uh, you are dead, and this is hell. So abandon all hope, and uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we're now going to start the orientation process, which will last about... Hey, wait a minute. I shouldn't be here. I was a totally strict and devout Protestant. I thought we went to heaven. Yes, well, I'm afraid you were wrong. I was a practicing Jehovah's Witness. Uh, you, uh, you picked, picked the, wrong the wrong religion as well. Well, who was right? Who gets into heaven? I'm afraid, I'm afraid it, it was, was the Mormons. Yes, yes the, the Mormons, Mormons were the correct answer. answer. What are the odds that Mormonism is the right answer? You know? <laughs> but see, we're not here to look at the odds. We're here to look at what God has said, what he has clearly revealed in Scripture. So how do we know that what the Bible claims about itself is true? Uh, you know, I've already answered that in a way, but uh, just to put it more simply, the Bible establishes its authority by the divine nature of it being God's word. Its lack of errors and contradictions, its, you know, incredible internal consistency, and the fact that the Holy Spirit testifies to us of its truthfulness. Uh, you could even go so far as to say the beauty of the writing is a proof as well. You know, some it is considered some of the most beautiful writing ever made. Um, I know Job is one of the greatest Hebrew works of all times, and Hebrews is uh, one of the greatest Greek pieces of all time. It is unparalleled in a literary sense. Uh, the London Baptist Confession uh, definitely says it better than I could. Uh, chapter 1, paragraph 5, talks about Scripture this way. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the Church of God to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, and the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation and many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof are arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. The, uh, so just to kind of reiterate some of that, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, 
and the full discovery of the only way of man's salvation, many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof. Man, I wish people still wrote and spoke like that today. This is awesome. So I'm not here, you know, to necessarily make an evidentialist case for why the Bible is probably true. I'm here to acknowledge what is. Not what should be or could be, but what is. Doesn't matter, all that other stuff. The Bible is the word of God. We don't really need to defend scripture, you know. It, it makes a good enough case on its own. Uh, not to say that we shouldn't proclaim it, obviously, but Charles Spurgeon once said that... Uh, he said this about the, the nature of scripture. You've all probably heard this quote before. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. Imagine that. Imagine trying to protect a lion's uh, reputation from a squirrel. You know, <laughs> like imagine a, a squirrel and a lion facing each other and you're standing between them trying to tell the squirrel how powerful the lion is. You know, like... How ridiculous would that be? Just step aside and let the lion take care of it. Um, now imagine that the squirrel is on fire. And that is the first callback to Trevor Wright's burning squirrel that we've had in a very long time. I have taken a long time to get to this point. I just want to thank everyone who made this possible. Trevor, obviously. The squirrels everywhere that burn with such vigor especially in California. I also want to thank everyone who has no idea what I'm talking about or what I'm doing here, but has stuck with me through this weird moment on the podcast, even though they have no idea what's going on. I don't do the show in a vacuum, ladies and gentlemen. You have to know the other episodes to get what I'm doing here, okay? Listen to the whole show. To any of you who knew what I was talking about, you're probably happy, I hope, about that. So we know from Scripture that everyone knows that God is real and that the Bible is his word. It's just whether you acknowledge that fact or not. Everybody knows that they've sinned before. Everyone knows they're somehow accountable for that fact. It's just a question of whether you live in denial of that fact or not. So when it comes to whether we can know God or not, you know, we can. He has made it possible for us to know him through scripture, through the Holy Spirit, testifying to the truthfulness of that scripture. Now to the ones who say we can't, it's a pretty popular agnostic position that if there's a God, he must be so complex and unimaginable that we finite human beings couldn't possibly know him or understand anything about him. So all these religions, you know, claiming to know things about God are just blowing smoke. You know, they're pretending to know things that they couldn't possibly know. To this, I would only point out that they're doing the exact same thing. If God is so complex that we can't understand anything about him, then we couldn't possibly know that. Because if we know that he's that complex then we know or understand something about him. We understand that he's too complex to understand. You know, we know that he's too complex to know. So now, don't get me wrong, we could never know or understand everything about God. But it's not like, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a simple being in the sense that we can figure it all out. You know, he is the eternal creator of everything, after all. Like, we're never 
going to know it all. But he condescended to us to reveal the things that we need to know about him. You know, he revealed how to be reconciled to him and how to worship him and how to live as a kingdom member. Uh, We can definitely know the things that he wants us to know, the things that he's revealed to us. But to someone who doesn't believe that he has revealed anything, then, then they, you know, they don't understand how we could possibly know anything. But to those who say that God is unknowable, any claim they make about God would be completely contradictory. You can't say he's unfair. You can't say he probably doesn't exist. You can't make any absolute statement whatsoever about him because that would, in fact, be knowing something about him, and you don't think that's possible. Complete contradiction. So let's rejoice in the fact that he has revealed things to us in the Bible, and he's given us everything we need to know. So on behalf of the burning squirrels and sassy secretaries everywhere, I see you, Dottie. That's our show for this week. I hope you got something out of this. You know, if you did, hit that little square button with the arrow and, uh, you know, share this somewhere. You know, I'm not really telling you what to do. I'm not saying you have to post it on your social media if you're not comfortable with that. But uh, if you want to text it to a friend or something, Every little bit of sharing will help the show. Uh, also, if you're not supporting the show on Patreon yet, then I encourage you to do so. It's only uh, $4 a month. Let me break down for you just how little that is. The venti size at Starbucks is essentially the size that the grande used to be. Okay, They basically made all their sizes smaller. So a large coffee at Starbucks today is what a medium coffee was like 10 years ago. Uh, If you were to buy a venti latte at Starbucks, which, remember, is really just a grande latte in reality, a venti latte goes for about $4.15. So for just $4 a month, less than that pitifully small latte at Starbucks, you can join the elect, get an exclusive podcast, get the free show three days early, get discounts on merch, Listen, yeah, uh, you need to do this. Listen, if you're a Patreon subscriber and you haven't gotten a t-shirt or a sticker yet, you just message me on Patreon and you tell me you want to buy something and I create a special discount code just for you, a one-time use code, and that will get you 20% off in in the Death of Death online store. If you're not a member of the elect and have no intention of ever being one, still head over to the store and pick yourself up a t-shirt or a sticker because they're just rad. I can confidently say that my podcast logo, designed by my sister Allison and uh, Anne Cameron Morgan, is my favorite podcast logo of all time. There, There is not a single podcast I listen to that has a better logo than I do. Uh, time Sucks logo is pretty cool, but it's not as cool as mine. So buy something, rep the show, you know, it'll help expose the show to more people and it'll help you look really, really cool. It'll help convince the world that you're not a dork. And we all need that in life. We all need something that outwardly expresses that we're not a dork. So go to deathofdeath.net and click shop on the menu to buy some merch. Click Patreon on the menu to join the elect. I've been your host, Nick, and I'll talk to you next week.